0: to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome back to our show Peter Pesic, writer, musician and educator, the author of seven books with the MIT Press and long associated with St. John's College in Santa Fe. Peter, welcome back to our show.
1: Thank you so much, Rabbi Neil. It's such a great pleasure to be with you again.
0: It's wonderful to have you back. It was the beginning of 2021 when you were last on our show. So it really is very special to, to have you back um, and talking about your new book, um, which is called Sounding Bodies, Music and the Making of Biomedical Science, which is apparently the third and final book in a trilogy about the influence of music on various aspects of science. Tell us a little about this, Sounding Bodies, Music, and the Making of Biomedical Science.
1: Well, as you mentioned, uh, Rabbi Neil, I had written two previous books that were... Uh Grew out of a long-standing interest. I've loved music and science since I was a child, and gradually tried to figure out more about their relationship. Um, in the first of those three books, I tried to, called Music and the Making of Modern Science, tried to show that music had a kind of formative role on the physical and mathematical sciences. The second, called Polyphonic Minds, was about the relationship between music. And the mind is the human sciences, the neurosciences. And this last book um, is takes off from a question that one of my teachers asked me. And he said, is it really true that biologists care less for music than physicists do? And I think he was teasing me and provoking me as, any, as much as anything. But it did set me thinking, to what extent has there been a relationship between music and what we could call what has come to be called the biomedical sciences, which start with medicine above all, but then develop into biology as we know it. And that's what this book is all about.
0: So for those who have never considered, I remember when you were here last and you spoke about music and science, music and modern science, but not many people would connect music and biomedical science And when you said, you know, you started considering the relationship between them, that's not, how do I put this nicely? That's not what people would normally imagine, is it? The the connection between music and biomedical science. Who considers the relationship between them? So you must be seeing something that others aren't seeing. So I guess the question, and I don't mean this flippantly at all, I mean it in terms of the insight that you're providing, what... What is that relationship between music and biomedical science that you're seeing? And is it different today, for example, than it was a, a few hundred years ago when science and medicine was very different? So, so what made you think of a relationship between music and biomedical science other than that comment that, that somebody teasing you said? How, how do you see it? What, what's the link?
1: Well, the link that I've seen now after a long period of thinking in the preparation of this book was that, that music came to have a very important role in the development of medicine and, and those biomedical sciences, but it was rather different than the physical sciences, which were concerned with directly with vibrating bodies, whereas that doesn't seem to be the case with the, the, the bodies or biology in general. But it turns out that this goes back very, very far to the Pythagoreans, who were the first, the Greek kind of, almost a kind of religious sect that was trying to connect number with um, music and sound. In the course of my work, I discovered that Pythagoreans were also very involved in medicine. Uh, there's various descriptions, many descriptions of Pythagoras himself was kind of semi-mythical figure going about not so much to teach as to heal. Mm. And so th- th- it was clear that they had a kind of whole uh, aspect of their work was not only about trying to, under- just trying to understand everything in terms of number. And the things that they started out with were things like music. Um, the relationship to mathematics, but then it was not very, not very, very hard for them to think about, well, maybe it's, maybe music has some deep relationship to health, and it was they that began also using uh, Pythagoras apparently sang different songs to his disciples to try to, to affect them when they were in different moods or experiencing illnesses. But the, the, the idea was also that medicine, and this is something that I found very surprising and interesting, their medicine, even though it began in this kind of rather religious context of a kind of a mystical cult, they developed and they were behind what we think of as Greek medicine, which was a rational kind of medicine. Right. The Egyptians and Babylonians were very, very skilled in medicine, but were always, there was always a reference to the gods. Um, people that were undergoing uh, some kind of treatment were advised to go to the temple and spend time there, and the priests would treat them with religious means. The Pythagoreans and the Greeks in general, especially uh, those that began with Hippocrates, which were rather soon after the Pythagoreans, um, they wanted to develop a medicine that actually had no reference to the gods, that was rational. And this is, in fact, the beginning of medicine as we know it in the West, as a discipline which is based on observation and not on divine intervention.
0: But then... So that was... Go ahead. Well, uh, my question, I guess, that comes from this is, is I can, I absolutely hear the link between the Pythagoreans with numbers, music, and sound. But when you're going into a CAT scan, when you're in hospital today... Mm -hmm what's it it feels like when you're describing the pythagoreans as this sort of semi-religious sect or group that's a different that may be the start of a relationship but that was so long ago how is this what's the connection i guess i guess what i'm really asking is how has this changed over time is there still a connection even though the pythagoreans may have seen a connection thousands of years ago is there still a connection today, and is that different because science is different? And now, I'm wondering, as I ask the question, if music is different as well. But certainly science has progressed mm-hmm. so much since then. Is there still a link between music and biomedical science?
1: Yes, it seems to me that there is, that a great many of the means of medicine, um, even going back to being listened to with a stethoscope, go back to... Um, insights that I tried to trace back to people that follow the Pythagoreans and are trying to think about how you could take music and then sound in general, not just musical sounds, but all kinds of sounds as a kind of diagnostic of the body. Um, the heart of the matter really is what I call a sonic turn in medicine, which was really happened about 1800, in which people realized that You could penetrate the body, you could see what was going on in the body, or you could actually hear what was going on in the body in ways that were invisible to even the most penetrating medical gaze. Um, By listening to the body, by tapping it, by sounding it, and gradually by listening to instruments like the stethoscope, uh, it was possible to form images of what was going on in the body that went far beyond what people had. This is the, really the beginning of the large series of developments that culminate in um, ultrasound in particular, which is, in fact, purely sonic and developed as a way of, of refining and uh, and rendi- rendering ever more um, accessible how sound could form an image, a kind of image of the body. The curious thing is that it goes back in antiquity to a, a person I, I discovered in the course of this book I've never heard of, but who became the hero of my book, a man called, named Her- Herophilus of Chalcedon who lived about the third century before the beginning of the Common Era and was very interested in Pythagorean ideas. He was a physician um, and trained in in Alexandria, which then was a great cosmopolitan center of um, uh, kind of an interaction between many uh, philosophical and religious traditions. And he had the idea uh, that it should be possible to understand the heartbeat and the pulse in terms of musical ratios. So that was the way he took the Pythagorean ideas and said, "It's it's found a very particular way of trying to address them." And this idea of his that it was possible for a physician to feel. And this was before they had stethoscopes, yeah. so all they were doing was feeling the pulse. But if they felt the rhythms of the pulse sensitively enough, they could understand what was wrong with the patient and make a kind of diagnosis which would be possible in no other way. This idea of his became fascinated. First of all, Galen, the great um, the great physician, Greek physician, but practiced in Roman times, mm-hmm. um, and Galen put this idea very much on the map. And from Galen, it passed into the the, the Muslim world. Uh, throughout, then from the Muslims back into the West as such, the idea that this might be true fascinated. Uh, old people over a thousand of years and finally it led about 1800 to people saying well maybe this idea of Herophilus could be carried further it's not something that is just a, a, a kind of abstract idea or only something that you would feel with your hand but maybe you could actually hear the body and then is the moment, the sonic turn in which people like René Lanec, the physician in France in the early 19th century, but before him others. Uh, in the book I talk about, uh, François Marquet was a physician of the 18th century in France that had the idea that he could write down the heart's um the heart's normal and abnormal uh, rhythms in musical notation ah. so that he could make a kind of musical score of it and that that would be a way of training physicians into how to to feel the pulse. But then it was only a short step for them to say, I don't want only to
0: feel it. Is it possible for me to hear it? See, you've so, you've answered a yeah. profound thing that I was going to be asking, which is about the difference between sound and music, because I can yeah. bang the desk in front of me. And is that music? Let's take a pause because we have to take a quick break and let's come back to this idea, because the fact that you mentioned that somebody wrote down musical score or wanted to write musical score for the heartbeat and just the idea of the stethoscope being almost an amplifier for music as opposed to sound i really want us to be able to explore the difference i I guess what is music is really what we're what what i'm Mm -hmm. concerned about so we'll take a very quick pause Um, You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich, my guest this evening, Peter Pesic, writer, musician and educator. Um, And we've been talking about his book, Sounding Bodies, Music and the Making of Biomedical Science. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, Peter Pesic, uh, author of Sounding Bodies, Music, and the Making of Biomedical Science. And before the break, Peter, you were just explaining about uh, this sonic turn in the 1800s where there was this idea of a musical score of the, of the heartbeat. I guess this leads me to... I've never... I don't want to say I've never... I have rarely, if ever, considered the heartbeat to be music, and I guess fundamental to your premise of your book, which I haven't yet read, um, is um, is that all sound is music? Would that be correct?
1: Well, or at least music forms a kind of gateway to sounds that go beyond the ones that we call musical sounds, which tend to be those which have a steady pitch or are somehow produced by instruments that we knew know. But what happened when René Linek and other people started actually thinking about what the actual sound of the body was, in fact, it started with a man named Leopold Auenberger who started sort of tapping on the body. It's right. called percussion. It's still something that happens to everybody in medical examinations. This is very, very, because it's a very easy way of finding out if there's fluid in the lungs, if there are abscesses of uh, the sound or absence of sound, so that the body became a percussion instrument. And percussion instruments don't make pitches very much or the, the pitches tend to be dull or unusual. Right. And so what happened was that the, as medicine progressed, into the body, um, people like Allen and and uh, and Lenneck had to find ways of talking about the sounds that they did hear in the body. And the curious thing was that they always, and the understandable thing was that they took the music of their own time as the starting point. Uh, Lanec, in particular, the inventor of the stethoscope, was very interested in music, especially Breton folk music, and played the flute. Uh-huh. Um, he himself suffered from what we would call tuberculosis, which at that time was not recognized as necessarily, or is just beginning to be recognized as an infectious disease. It was considered instead to be a form of nostalgia or homesickness that would afflict especially troops taken forcibly away from their home. And so, the next story, and those of several of the physicians of his time, that they were working in wards of Croatian hospitals, they got, got he got the idea of trying to listen to the hearts of his patients through a rolled-up tube, which he then changed into a kind of wooden cylinder, right. which he named the stethoscope. But when he listened to their chests, the sounds that he heard were not at all like the sounds of music, or in general, he heard strange rattlings and gurglings, and had to develop a kind of whole sonic vocabulary for how to think and talk about them. And it's very fast, at times actually, some of his patients actually did emit actual pitches, and he writes down in melodies that he actually heard from his patients. Then he realized after a while that these are actually being produced by vibrations of the arteries, very wow. sort of very rapid vibrations so but he was startled because it was you know so that actually pitches and sounds like the flute that he played were relatively unusual but they did come out and he felt that suddenly he was able to uh, to uh, go into a new world that was fundamentally sonic and was very unfamiliar. It was more like listening to, I don't know what, electronic music or, you know, than pitches. But somehow the way in which he approached it was informed by his interest in music and
0: sound. Let me ask, there's something for me, I can't help getting spiritual, I am a rabbi after all, there's something that you're saying that to me, when you said, I think you, you referred to bodies as musical instruments. I think that yeah. changes what it is to be a human being. I think mm. because when a stomach gurgles or when we hiccup or <laughs> when, we, when we fart, when we do these, when we emit noises that we hear, we pass them off as just, just sort of incidental. Um, mm-hmm. whereas it sounds to me like how I'm, I'm reading, reflecting back on, on what you're saying is there's something much more internally musical about the human being. And that when you said originally mentioned the stethoscope, I thought, well, that's just a heartbeat. I thought, no, right. You're actually talking about the, the, the way of diagnosing because of the sound, because of the echo, because of the pitch and so on. So I'm wondering if there is a spiritual element in some sense that Mm. redefines the human being from your work um, as a musical instrument that we can both hear and not hear, but particularly almost like not excusing the music that we create. I'm Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if there's a question perhaps, or maybe does this resonate? I I, I guess maybe maybe what I'm asking is, do you see a do you see a different way of viewing human beings through the music of our bodies?
1: Yes, and that turned out to be another crucial part of the change that was going on in that same period that I was talking about the ancients The ancient Greeks, in particular, thought of the body as being composed mainly of liquids that they called humors, right and there are four different humors at that time. but gradually, as these developments went on um the people that were trying to pursue the idea that the body was a musical instrument that more and more got interested in the idea that the body is made of fibers and that the fibers, not just fluids, but solids and not just solids, but fibers and fibers that not only were structural like muscles that could hold up the body in a static way, but fibers that were dynamic and could vibrate so that in essence, the, the body is a, is is a vibrating body and what you're hearing is not a kind of incidental thing but is it's absolutely essential to its functioning as something that's both capable of and continually undergoing vibrations and that the search for what it could be to understand the soul or spirit in, in a way that would go beyond something that was immaterial more and more focused on the nature of vibration and the character of vibration. And in fact, in the later part of my book, um, this led to the most important developments in Mm. neuroscience that happened in the 20th century, which was the clarification of how neurons and from them, the nervous system and brain as a whole worked that they that the no- neurons work through vibration, and not only through vibration, through a kind of on or off um, rhythm, that, that not only were they bodies that were sounding, but they were bodies that were working through rhythms. Right. And that what was realized by Edward Adrian, who is the famous British physiologist, uh, who was the first person to establish the so-called neuron doctrine, that neurons fire either all at once or not at all and that the brain and nervous system operate not through an analog mechanism but through the frequency of firing of the neurons it works purely on the rhythm of the neurons and he was able to establish that by listening to the neurons he would put he would put tiny electrodes in there and amplify them through a loudspeaker so not only was the heart listened to in the you know the early nineteenth century um, through a stethoscope, but it was listening to the brain amplified in loudspeakers that was enabled the the most important discovery probably in the history of neurology. And all of the developments that are happening since then was because the the, the, the brain itself is a purely is a rhythmic system. It's a system of a hundred billion it's an orchestra of a hundred billion right. instruments. Each one of them is a neuron. Each neuron in our brain is at more complicated than any musical instrument in an orchestra. Um, I'd always thought well they're like a switch or something, but it's it turns out that they're not. They're capable of vibrating at many different frequencies depending on how they're being hooked together. And what we think of as our consciousness has a profound relationship to the interacting rhythms of all of those instruments. So let me ask uh, you I mean, though,
0: with I mean we've only got four minutes left, I, I love talking <laughs> to you, I do, but um, wait, the music of our body, I guess, if If we are musical instruments the, the the challenge is of course that a musical instrument is played it is a passive thing um it receives mm. the person who plays it um the are we as sort of inadvertent composers because it 's not my fault that my heart beats this way i mean it might be if I were yeah. fitter it might, <laughs> it might it might it might beat in a different way, but there's something about the humanity of being a musical instrument but but being a musical instrument is a thing it's an object Uh, but we're composers but we don't hear and we didn't cause we didn't choose that composition what does it mean for us in biomedical terms to be instrument but composer but not even choose either
1: Yes, I mean, that's the most profound question, I suppose, of neuroscience now, because when you think about it, Rabbi Neil, if you close your eyes for a moment, your brain will go into a certain vibrational state. This is the famous alpha rhythm. Somehow or other, our brains are capable of organizing all these hundred billion instruments without any sort of input from us themselves. It's as if it's like a jazz band that's composing its own music right. and forming its style and identity on the wing as it does it. That's who we all. What, that's what we seem to be. I mean, there's no clear. There is no consensus about how the brain works. But the one thing that I think is agreed to by all neuroscientists is that there's no central place in the brain where there's a little person sitting there who right. is you and who is, as it were, the composer or director what we experience as ourselves, our spirit, our soul, is somehow being produced in this amazing way by these hundred billion instruments all interacting with each other. And, um, I mean, to me that, I mean, we've only begun to think about what that means. But all that I'm trying to say at the moment is that it's a fundamentally rhythmic and hence musical experience that's going on. The other thing that I think is startling before we end is that of those 100 billion neurons, 99% of them are connected only to each other. Only 1% of them is connected to the so-called outside world, to the senses. So everything that's going on, I mean, clearly 1%, that's still a billion. But most of the brain, what is constructing this amazing, amazing musical composition that seems to be unwilled, but there's probably much more than that, is is an interaction that's happening within the brain with a little 1% of information from the outside. I think we have only begun to think about what could that possibly mean and what does it imply for our minds for our spirits for our souls i don't know but it seems to me uh, very fascinating to think about where it could lead us
0: i i so appreciate this peter because this is looking at the self through a very different lens um i I may call this show the self as jazz because it's um because it's the spontaneity and the creativity that That is deliberate and not deliberate as anyone who plays or has played in in jazz band will know it's you're in control, but you're not in control. You're forming, but you're responding. And so there's a, a fluidity to the essence of the human being that you're describing through music and through neurons and their interactions that I think changes the way that we look at ourselves when we sit in an office and think, oh, I've got this many hours left of the day. Nonetheless, there's still a composition that is whirring within you. There's a piece of jazz that is being formed that is still helping you be who you are. I think, I think it's, it's extremely powerful. Can I ask if you can please come back to our show before three years? We don't, we, we can't have you have a gap every three years. Um, Peter Pesic, we'd love to have you back to our show.
1: I would love to return to Rabbi Deal. Thank you so much.
0: Of course. So thank you to Peter Pesic, uh, writer, musician, uh, educator, author of Sounding Bodies, Music and the Making of Biomedical Science. It's been absolutely fascinating and as always talking with you you've just helped me explore the self in a very different very profound way Uh, and genuinely I hope that you'll come back soon
1: thank you I'd love to
0: you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe until we return again in two weeks time keep searching